Hey guys, this is Phil, and this is the Vision Podcast. We're glad you're listening. Hey, you're getting ready to hear part two of the tabernacle. And so I just want to encourage you to set your heart to hear from heaven and enjoy the podcast. Hang out. He may come back. I don't know. Um, but we'll be looking forward to him if he does. But if you have your Bible, would you turn over to Exodus chapter 25? Exodus 25. And I'm going to get a drink while you're doing that. That's all right. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I started talking about the tabernacle. And, and it says in Exodus 25. In fact, let's look at Exodus 25 and look at verse 8. I should have been turning over there with you. Verse 8 says, And the Lord said to Moses in verse 8, He said, And let them make me a sanctuary. Sanctuary is another word for tabernacle. Right? There's about five words in the Bible, um, that uh, five different names for the tabernacle. But he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So God's desire is to dwell with us. He wants to be with you. Remember back, we talked two weeks ago about in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam every day in the garden. They walked together. They fellowshiped. They hung out together. What do you do with your best friend? You go and you hang out with them, right? You get to know them. And so now, so when they sinned, then there became this separation between God and man because God can't be in the presence of sin because how many of you know when he's in the presence of sin, people die (laughs) you know we can't see his face we couldn't see his face before Jesus and so there had to be a sacrifice that was made and so God because he wanted to be with us so much he gave Moses this plan to build a tabernacle the interesting thing about the tabernacle is there's 50 chapters in the Bible dedicated to the tabernacle 50 I mean, they talk about what materials to use. It talks about how it's supposed to be built. It talks about the services and how the priests are supposed to serve on a daily basis in the tabernacle, all so that God can be in the tabernacle, so that he can dwell among his people. And so it's pretty interesting. I want to give you some interesting statistics here, but... But there were two reasons. That was the first reason that God wanted to be with his people. But also the second reason is that God wanted to give you and I a roadmap into his presence. That's basically what the tabernacle is. It's a roadmap for us to be able to come into his presence. And and anytime you see in the Old Testament that word presence, it also means face. You couldn't be in my presence without seeing my face, right? Right? And I can't be in your presence without seeing your face. And so in Exodus 33, it says that Moses, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. FaceTime. That's awesome. So let me give you a couple of interesting things about the tabernacle. I thought this was so interesting. So so I told you that there's 50 chapters that are dedicated to the tabernacle. Guess how many chapters are dedicated to the Ten Commandments? Yeah, one chapter dedicated to the Ten Commandments. And so in that tabernacle, this is where God lived for 500 years until they built him a temple. 
And, it was, and so it was made of these materials that had durability that would last that long. And think about this. It took 22,000 Levites to serve in the temple. This would be a good place to plug here. Because um, <laughs> we've got Dan Moeller coming at the end of March. And I talked to you guys a little bit about, you know, how we, we, we want to be able to switch people out in the kids ministry because we want teachers and helpers to be able to come in and hear Dan. Now, we're going to record every service, but the day that I'm looking forward to is the day where we have a waiting list for people to be able to serve in the different departments of vision. Isn't that, wouldn't that be great? 22,000 people, man, that's amazing. So think about this, there's 3 million people, right, in, in Israel, Three million people. So in order for three million people to, um, to be in an area around the tabernacle, that's 12 square miles is the space that you would need. So think about that. They have to bring their sacrifices to the tabernacle. And so they're walking miles to get to the tabernacle. Isn't that interesting? So 12 square miles. So and the daily sacrifices that needed to come with that many people would have filled 30 semi-truck loads of animals for that many sacrifices. Isn't that crazy? This, not really about that, but I thought it was still interesting because every time the cloud moved, the Israelites went with it and their procession of three million people was 40 miles long whenever they would travel somewhere. Isn't that crazy? So you find Exodus 25 yet? All right, so let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. And from his heart, he shall take my offering. So here the Lord begins to tell Moses what kind of a materials list that he needs to be able to build the tabernacle. All right, so in verse 3 it says, And this is the offering that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze. What is gold? Gold is divinity. Silver is redemption. And then bronze is suffering. That's what bronze represents. So all of these things had to do with Jesus. It's so remarkable that all through this, these 50 chapters that talk about the tabernacle, all of them coincide with Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Oh, man. And so then in verse 4, it says, they can bring blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine linen. What is that talking about? Four colors, four gospels. Think about this, four revelations of who Jesus is. Because in Matthew, he's the king. So that's purple, right? In Mark, he's the perfect man. That's fine linen. In Luke, he's the savior. That's scarlet. Wow. And then he is the son of God. The son of God is the book of John, and that's the blue, the four colors in that gate when you approach the gate. So then he also said goat's hair, though. What is goat's hair? What does that represent? It represents the prophet, that Jesus was the prophet. And then in verse 5, it says ram skin dyed red. What is that talking about? Ram, a ram is an animal that's a leader. 
And then it says it was dyed red. So Jesus was the leader that received, chose of his own free will to take the sin of man on his own body. The skin dyed red. Badger skin. Badger skin is so interesting to me because the tabernacle, on top of the tabernacle, it had four different layers of covering that went over the tabernacle. The very top layer was the badger skin. It was the least attractive. It's very unattractive. It's rough, but it's very durable. So when the children of Israel were coming toward the tabernacle, that's all they could see. They could see the outer wall, and they could see the top of that badger skin. So this is an interesting point, because from the outside, it's not very attractive. But from the inside, it's beautiful. And this is what's... this. This is what's interesting about the world because to the world, Christianity is not attractive. But to the believer who's on the inside and has experienced the glory of God, they understand the beauty. Isn't that amazing? That's so good. I've, I've been pretty excited all week to bring this to you guys. So no one saw the beauty until they went inside. Then acacia wood. Now acacia wood is really interesting. Um, <clears throat> anytime in the, in the Bible where there's a reference to wood, wood, refer, it, wood represents flesh. Acacia wood is interesting because it only grows in the Middle East, and it's the only wood in the world that does not decay or corrupt. It's the only wood that does that. Okay, so, and the psalmist declared this in Psalm 16, verse 10. He said, thou will not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Wow. And then verse 6, we have the oil for the light. We have the spices for the anointing oil and the sweet incense. Oil for the light, the Holy Spirit, right? And then, <clears throat> do you need to pull me down or is it, is it just me? It's like it's feeding back. And then spices for the anointing would be uh, the material, it would be, excuse me, it would be the worship, it would be our praise, our worship, our gifts that we give, tithes and offerings. It would be prayer. All of this comes up before the Lord as incense. And then he goes into verse 7, he says, onyx stones, stones that would be set on the ephod of the breastplate. So now he begins to move Moses into all the materials that are symbolic of a living church, all those stones that the priests would wear on the ephod on their chest. And then verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. So he said to build the sanctuary. So I want to recap a couple of things that we talked about two weeks ago. One is this gate, the outer gate to the temple, the Jews call that the way. The entrance into the holy place, they called that the truth. And then the veil into the holy of holies, they called the life. So this is why they got upset when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I'm the gate, I'm the door, and I'm the veil. Wow, that's, that was so powerful. And then... <clears throat> And then, so you have a fence on the outer of the tabernacle. There's this fence that goes all the way around it, and it's a fine linen. It's six feet tall, and then, you know, there's really long strips, like 42 feet or something. I mean, it's just really long. And so this outer part of the gate is supported by 60 
pillars, which are made of acacia wood. And I'll explain those in just a second. But in those pillars, why 60? Six is the number of man. Ten is the number of responsibility. Jesus became man and took what we were responsible for. He took responsibility for it. Isn't that, man, just so good. All right, I'm moving through it quickly. And then the pillars. Think about this. Every pillar that was around the outside of the tabernacle, and they're they're holding up this wall, um, each individual pillar is capped with silver. What was silver? Redemption. And then the base was bronze. What was bronze? Suffering. And then there was a rope of goat's hair that would go from the pole, and it would fasten it to the ground. Goat represents sin, a sin offering. And then it's attached to the stake that's in the ground, right? That's made, and I think it's made of bronze. What's it's made of? Yeah, it's brass. And so it's sticking half in, half out of the ground. And sin is attached to it. That's the crucifixion. So, I mean, it's like God doesn't do anything haphazardly. He is sending a message to us. The Savior is coming. So I'm going to give you a quick review from two weeks ago. You ready? So at the gate, we are reconciled. The gate, the entrance coming in to the courtyard. At the altar of sacrifice, we're redeemed. It's where Jesus paid the price. At the laver, we're sanctified. At the lampstand, we're illuminated. At the table of showbread, we're satisfied. At the altar of incense, that's where we bring our exaltation, our adoration, and our praise to him. And then the holy of holies, that's where we get to touch him, see him face to face. I got a little uncomfortable this weekend. We went to Called to Love event down the Little Rock, and, and man, did I, I just got, I got convicted in many ways. Um, but you know, when your heart's tender to God, conviction is a good thing. It keeps you tender. That means you're tender. If, if your heart is convicted about something, that means that's a good thing. That means you're tender. Anyway, but this guy, um, they said, okay, we want to give you a moment. We want everybody to stand up, and we want to give you a moment to be able to pray for each other. And so this guy next to me, um, I was sitting next to him during dinner, and he just got up, and he grabbed me by the neck and squeezed his face right here, right next to my face. I'll go this side. I mean, literally. Okay, this is awkward. And he, and I mean, I can feel, I, I mean, we're almost touching lips here. And I'm going, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my heart right right now because I just want to pop this guy. You know, I am serious. I'm sorry. I'm just not, you know, I'm all, hey, man, you know, you, you did. There's ways that men hug, right? That are, that's cool. And then there's a way that kind of crosses. Anyway, so, and he begins to pray over me. Plus, I'm sounding like this. And I thought, well, I don't want to pass him anything, you know, but it's too late for that. Anyway, and he's, you know, he's, and he's got, and he's, he's crimping my neck. Anyway, so, but he prays this prayer that just convicts my heart. As he's praying. And I begin to think, man, God, is this, is this the kind of FaceTime that you want with me? You know? And I'm, I'm having a flesh moment, but you've got to discern what's flesh and what's 
spirit. Well, then he got to praying. Then he laid a big old kiss on the side of my head. I was like, I'm sorry. I just, ugh, thank you, Lord. So, but, I, but it convicted my heart in the, when it was over, and I really began to think about it and process, not what he did, but just why, my, why I was, why it, you know, was kind of bugging me. And I said, Lord, is my love walk where it needs to be? Because the very first thing that 1 Corinthians says that love is, is patient. Am I patient? Was I patient with that? Because I walked away from that receiving something from heaven. And it was no longer about the closeness or the feeling awkward. It was about that this guy was praying a prayer that convicted my heart. All right, just wanted to share that to you. So I want to recap this. You guys asked me a couple weeks ago to recap it, and I feel like it's important to recap again. Um, going into the tabernacle, the, the priests, they didn't wear shoes when they would serve in the tabernacle. And so they would wash their hands and their feet at the labor before they went into the tabernacle. And so at the front of the tabernacle, there's these five pillars at the very front. Those five pillars stand for the offices of the church that support the church, right? The apostle, the evangelist, I'm sorry, the, the, the prophet, start again, blah, blah, blah. the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, right? Now, the apostle, you can, you know, we use the thumb as the example for the apostle because the apostle has done every one of those four ministries effectively, so I think apostles are um, highly misunderstood, that office, because you, you, you need to have walked effectively in every one of those offices to qualify as an apostle. Someone that, to me, would qualify as an apostle would be Nicole's dad. I would very much consider him an apostle because I've watched him effectively walk in all four of the ministries. So you have the apostle. They've done all the ministries. Then you have the prophet, right? That proclaims the word that God has for people. Then you have the evangelist. The evangelist is long, the longest finger, reaches out, right? But then you have the ring finger. It's the weakest finger. It's the gentle finger, the pastor, right? And then the pinky is the teacher. The teacher, the pinky, is smaller than all the other fingers, and it can get where other fingers can't to dig out truth, Right? Okay, I just wanted to say that again. So all five of these fingers make up the hand of God. We're the body of Christ, right? The hand of God. These five ministries, they lead us into truth. Why? Because Ephesians 4 says this in verse 14. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. See, these Help us not be deceived. Amen. All right. So now all that was just a quick opener. And I want to get to my message here, okay? I really just want to focus on the Holy of Holies. Because I didn't get to talk about that very much two weeks ago. But I, just, I felt like all this stuff that I just talked about was necessary for a recap. So in the Holy of Holies, turn over to Revelations 11 if you have your Bible. I want you to see this. Revelations chapter 11 
And look at verse 19. Because what God gave Moses in the tabernacle, how to build it, the furnishings, how the, the, the priests were supposed to serve, all of, that, all of that was a shadow and a type of what's in heaven. So there is a temple that is in heaven. So when David had it in his heart that he said, Lord, I want to build you a temple, God saw that as, as a very good thing. He looked at David and he just went, I'm, I'm so touched that you want to build me a temple because what's in heaven is a temple. But the tabernacle was a temporary place. It was a tent, right? And so in Revelation, are you there, 11? Look at verse 19. It says, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. Where's the temple at that he's talking about here? It's in heaven. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Wait a minute. In the tabernacle, nobody could view the ark of the covenant. Nobody could see it. Only the priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, could come in and see the ark of the covenant. Right? So in Exodus 25, if you go back over there and you look between verses 10 and 16, it gives the instructions of the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it says it was two and a half cubits long. A cubit is just, you know, from your elbow to the top of your finger. You know, it's two and a half long. It was one and a half wide. You know, and it just begins to describe. But the Ark has a deeper meaning. It speaks of Jesus. But on top of the Ark is the mercy seat. We would call it the lid. It sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It has the cherubim where, the, where they're, you know, the, they, what do they call the wings meet in the middle. And, but the seat, that, uh, what, what do you call that? That space right there is the mercy seat. And so that's what the priest would come in. So what, what, what the mercy seat speaks of is Jesus' purpose. So the ark speaks of Jesus, the mercy seat speaks of his purpose, what he was called to do. And so in Psalm 40, verse 8, I'll just read it to you. It says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. See, Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. How did he fulfill the law? Well, in Moses' day, the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement, the priest would come in with the blood sacrifice and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And that covered the law. The law is where? It's in the Ark, right? So the law is in there. I'm going somewhere with this. And so why is it in the Ark? Because the Lord has fulfilled the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law. See, we broke all the laws, right? I mean, you broke one, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So you've broken all the laws, right? Okay, so, but yet we are pardoned, we're cleansed, we're saved, and we're protected because of the blood that has been sprinkled on that mercy seat. So he is our mercy seat. Mercy seat means substitution, Somebody took your place. Man, that's so good. So, but to, so to violate the holiness of the ark is death. 
That means death. For you and I to deny the Lord's deity today is death. Okay, let me, let me say it this way. In Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 4, Jeremiah was, he's called the crying prophet, right? I mean, he's the guy that, that had all the hard words. He didn't have a lot of friends because God gave him the difficult words to say to people. And so in chapter 7 and verse 4, he's talking about to Israel, he's saying, you guys have forsaken God and you are reverencing the temple. What does that mean? That means I go to church every Sunday, but I live in sin during the week. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend over here, but Sunday comes, it's time to go to church. What is that? That is forsaking God and reverencing the temple. It's sure quiet in this church. So it's like a knockoff Christianity. So they had forsaken the Lord, but they had reverenced the temple. See, the mercy seat is made of solid gold. The rest of the ark was the acacia wood that's covered in gold, but the, the lid is pure gold. And so God, is, he commands Moses to send Aaron in before the day of atonement to sprinkle blood and on the sacrifices there. Um, and he's to bring incense with him so he does not die. Uh, Becca, go ahead and come up and help me. So in 1 Samuel, let me get a drink here, sorry. Dry throat, okay. <clears throat> so you remember in 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the ark had been taken captive um, to, to the Philistines, right? And so the Philistines were judged by the ark. So they sent it back. And so what happened when they sent it back was that the Israelite people that received it back, they decided to look inside the ark. And so they took the lid off. They looked inside and 50, 000, over 50,000 of them died. Why? Because it was because they were exposed to the law. And then judgment came. Why? The mercy seat's off. Man, the mercy seat covered judgment. See, the law judges, but God sees that blood on the mercy seat, and it protects you and I. So I've got some good news for you today. I want to read to you out of Hebrews, but I'd like for you to see it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, why don't you turn over there? Hebrews chapter 9. It says in verse 23, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with a far better sacrifice than the blood of animals. Verse 24, for Christ, Jesus, did not enter into the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. 
but he entered into heaven itself by appearing now before God on our behalf. What did Jesus do when he ascended to heaven? He poured out the blood of his sacrifice on the mercy seat. He took your sin and mine. He died for it so you and I didn't have to die from it. He took your penalty, mine, your sin, my sin, when he poured out his blood. And what did that do? The law, he then fulfilled the law because the law is inside the ark of the covenant. But Jesus' blood covers it and it pays that penalty. That's so good. That is so, so good. Man, Father, we just thank you right now. We're so thankful. Thank you that you love us that much. You and I don't sin because we planned on it. We sin because we're weak. This is why we need the blood of Jesus. So we can repent. So I want to uh, I want to read out of Psalm 27. Well, I wanted to, but I feel like the Lord's not letting me here. Hey, Chris, let's go ahead and bump bump the lights down if you're back there. I just, I just feel to pray right here. I had more, I had more to my message, but I feel like, I feel like God wants to do something right here because the grace of God is not a license to sin. It's not. Oftentimes I meet with people because they want to meet and with tears in their eyes, I talked I talked to a person recently and and uh, with tears in their eyes they begin to tell me what was going on and it had to do with a girlfriend and it had to do with you know he was doing stuff that was bothering his heart that's why he's crying he knows most of the time honestly in counseling you don't have to tell people what they're doing wrong they, they already know it because the fact that he has tears in his eyes told me that his heart is convicted on this and he wants to get it right but what can happen is is if we keep disobeying what we know the word says and go against our go against our conscience what the Bible says is happening is that we're searing our conscience. Have you ever got burned? 
grows back tougher, doesn't it? Because that's what happens when you sear your conscience, a callus begins to form over your conscience. And so you're less sensitive to the correction of God. And don't get me wrong, he's a good, good father. He wants to bless us. He wants you to have an amazing, prosperous life. But if there's something in your heart that's bugging you and you don't deal with it, and you don't take it to him and ask his forgiveness and get cleansed from it, he's not going to be able to do what he really wants to do in your life. I can tell you firsthand because I've done it. You're looking at a person that has been down that road cried out to God. I was dating a, I was dating a girl and uh, because I'd never had a relationship that lasted longer than three months, <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to all in, flat out commit in this relationship. Problem was, the Holy Spirit tried to get it to me before we even started dating. He said, don't go out with this girl. And I blew it off. And we went out. And I lost a year of my life in a relationship that I wasn't supposed to be in. And it ended, and it ended bad. <clears throat> I mean, you know, wrong relationships seldom end good. But it ended bad, and I remember my heart was so convicted because I wasn't supposed to be in that relationship to begin with. And God was just working on my heart, <clears throat> and so much so that I just hit my knees and I began to bawl, and I didn't care. Who saw me? And I just had tears streaming down my cheeks, knowing that I was not in the right relationship. I wasn't supposed to be in that relationship. <clears throat> and I was so sad that I'd lost all this time and, and, and that God had tried to tell me and I didn't listen to him. But now I have an opportunity because my Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Do you know what it, do you know what it feels like to live absolutely free? And to wake up every day forgiven, knowing that I'm free, I don't have stuff that needs dealt with because his blood has set me free. I feel like there's somebody in the room, there's, some, there's more than one of you. That's where you're at right now. And God's convicting your heart just even as I'm speaking. And so we're going to have an altar call, but I, I, I want you to know my heart. My heart has never been to embarrass you because I just, I just aired my laundry to you. I just told you my own personal testimony. But if that's you, it's time that we get it right, that we pray and release it ask God to forgive us and determine we're not living like that anymore would you bow your heads all around the room